Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wall Street. I went to Wall Street to get seriously rich, but I didn't get rich. Hollywood Boulevard. I went to Hollywood to be a movie mogul. I didn't become a movie mogul. Washington, D.C. The president and Mrs. Ford have invited us down to Palm Springs. He's been but there. I love the entertainment business. Done that. Being hired by a company called Carol Co. Pictures. And that. the night before Ronald Reagan was inaugurated. And just about everything else you can imagine. I thought of myself as somebody who was a double agent. He knew a lot of famous My people. My experience with Orson Welles. Or How can you possibly hang out with that low-life Frank Sinatra? And now he's talking. Talking. Because of that, I was invited to some fancy dinner. This is the podcast, Who the F*** is Roger Smith? But my real goal was to have an interesting life surrounded by interesting people, and at that, I succeeded beyond my expectations. In this episode, Roger teams up with legendary producer David Merrick on a trip to 42nd Street. But we begin where many Hollywood stories do, the Beverly Hills Hotel. In a way, wanted to show that it wasn't just thanks to my job at Warner that I had connections to the high and, and the famous. In fact, I'll finish with a connected thing. David, David Merrick. David Merrick was, as most people know, the, the leading Broadway producer in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and in, in 1980, I get a call from a guy I knew, who I knew was connected to him, I forget how I knew him, and he said, David wants to meet you, Roger, because he's in a fight with Warner Brothers Music over the rights to the Harry Warren Al Dubin catalog because he's going to do a Broadway version of 42nd Street. And they're giving him a hard time about how much he has to pay for the rights and so forth. And I said, well, look, I'm happy to meet with David Merrick, but I will be honest and tell him Corporate doesn't give orders to the divisions. They're very independent. If they say that's this is our deal, then we're, we're not going to tell them otherwise. Well, he said, let's see what you can do. So we actually meet, strangely, in a cabana at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And he outlines what he's doing, which is to take not just 42nd Street, but uh, Lullaby of Broadway and the various Busby Berkeley musicals and do a pastiche of one and make it into a Broadway show. And I say, that is the most fantastic idea I've ever heard. It can't fail. I said, I don't know if you know this, but I wear another hat, which is the co-chairman of Warner Theater Productions, and we invest in Broadway shows. I would like to talk to you about doing that and being, being your partner. He said, look, 
I've had it with investors. I've decided I want to, I'll do this with my own money and just take the risk myself. Uh, I don't you know, need investors. I said, look, I think we could make you an offer you can't refuse, which is, first of all, you do need us to get the rights. I'm not saying we would use that leverage, but it's there. Second, we'll make a deal with, you know, it's not going to be 50-50 where you get paid back before we get a nickel. It's going to be a 60-40. We get 60 until we're paid back, and, and then you go to 50-50. And you don't have the right to close the show without our, our permission, because he had a couple of experiences with things that he had done where he closed him out of town because he got bad reviews, and then he lost the investor's money, but not his. So he ends up saying, OK. But I said, now, I'm not the head of it now. At that time, I became it later. I said, you have to meet with Harvey Shine, who's a VP of come over from CBS. And so we got to convince him. And his first argument was, well, why would we do this? We own the movie rights. We own the music publishing. We own what? We don't need Merrick. Really. We, don't, we don't. Well, no, we don't. It's not that. Why would we risk the money on a Broadway show when there's no ancillary benefit to be gotten? If, it, if it's a hit, it'll... Oh, I see. It doesn't roll out to anything we don't it already It rolls own. out to things we already own and let somebody else take the risk. I go to Steve Ross and say, look, I want to overrule him on this because I said, this is a guaranteed winner. I mean, the line was, people walk into the theater singing the songs. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> you he, said that? Yes, I said, <laughs> said and I said, and it, it can't lose. Steve said, would you give me that in writing? I said, well, Steve, the answer is yes, because you and I both know that if it turns out badly, I'm not good for the money, so you could have my signature on it, yes. Anyway, we now meet with Mr. Shine, who starts to lecture David Merrick on experiences we've had recently with shows like Woman of the Year, which ran but never paid the investors back. And this at too many expenses. David Merrick looks at him and says, Mr. Shine, my name is David Merrick. I am not some fat lady who wants to see her name in the newspapers. I am David Merrick. I may give you a flop, but I will never give you a hit that runs but doesn't pay back. Well, he still wasn't convinced and I got overruled and we didn't do it. But as a result of this, David Merrick saw me as this wonderful champion of him, and this forced me to have lunch two or three times a year at 21 with the most unpleasant man in the world. He was just so obnoxious. One, one year, I remember, he called one of the Crindlers over and says, can you stop that infernal racket? We're trying to have a business conversation here. The infernal racket was the Salvation Army choir singing Christmas carols. Okay. <laughs> By the way, a very tough ticket every year, yeah. and or it was until 21 yeah. closed. Right. And yeah. like they did two lunches. They right. did a turn at noon and at two just to accommodate this people huge wanted, influx of people, people that right. wanted to come and see well, it. David Merrick didn't want to hear it. He was, <laughs> but uh, so anyway, it becomes. Uh, but I become friends. I'm invited to the opening night, which is famous in Broadway history because. Gower Champion, the director and choreographer of 42nd Street, died that afternoon. David Merrick, not wanting the cast to be downbeat, doesn't tell any, keeps it a secret, and comes up on the stage after the riotous applause. It's a big, huge success. I had been told this was going to happen. 
And he gets up and everyone's wondering what's the, the producer doesn't get up on the stage ever. And he gets up and, and everyone starts laughing, says, no, no, please. I have terrible news. Gower died this afternoon at four o'clock. Now, one of the girls in the chorus, he's been porking, and Catherine, Karen Prunzik, I remember her name, <laughs> and she faints dead away. She was at the future, I think, is the to replace Marge Champion. Oh, she was Stuppen Gower. She was Stuppen Gower. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she faints on the stage. There it was it. And David Merrick is told, well, we have to cancel the after party at the what was scheduled to be at the Waldorf. Don't be ridiculous. I paid a $17,000 deposit. We're not canceling. And we had a party. It was a little downbeat, but it was it was still a party. <laughs> In his honor, this is how yes, they probably right, yes. spun it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a great story. I didn't know the show was 42nd Street because you said that they were putting other numbers from other shows in it. Well, they, So I thought this was some colossal flop you were going to tell no, us No, no, no. This is a colossal hit. We didn't have the flop was right. we didn't we didn't own it. And it, it ended up in 12 languages and 30 countries and, and so forth and running forever. And uh, look, in, in business, being right when your boss is wrong is worse than being simply wrong. <laughs> it doesn't help you. In this episode, Harvard's Hasty Pudding Club honors and punks an American stage icon. Let's head to Cambridge, Massachusetts. My senior year at Harvard, and I have been a member of the semi-prestigious Hasty Pudding Club, not that prestigious. And I have risen in the ranks to my senior year, I get to be Woman of the Year Chairman. And the position of Woman of the Year sort of alternated each year between one year it was a hot babe, the next year it was a little bit of a, of a joke, like Mamie Eisenhower was one year. Well, it's 1966, and I realized that Lauren Bacall has never been Woman of the Year, and because Humphrey Bogart, the revival of his career really began in Cambridge, Massachusetts, at a theater called the Brattle Theater. And so I thought, well, we couldn't get Lauren Bacall. She was not available when we needed her. So I said, I've got it. I said, there's a great woman of the theater that I think we could get, which is Ethel Merman. Uh, one of my committee members said, Roger, I wouldn't her with yours. I said, well, let's let's leave that kind of crudity aside for now, but let's I persuade them to give it a try. Well, we go out to the airport with a, a, a crepe paper festooned convertible to pick her up with great hoopla. And, and Ethel is the sweetest woman in the world, not terribly bright. She is under the misapprehension that this is sort of like an honorary degree from Harvard and that this is a sort of great honor. She didn't know it was mostly kidding. Well, she gets up on the stage. She's under a further misimpression that everyone in the Hasty Pudding wants to have a career in the theater. They want a career in investment banking. And so she gets up on the stage in a little theater that seats 400 people, and she starts saying, for a little girl who didn't finish high school in Queens, I cannot tell you what a thrill it is to be honored in this way by Harvard. And I want to show my appreciation. I know you all are thinking of careers in the theater. And all of a sudden, the, the audience has little titters going on. And, thing, and I think, oh, my God, they're going to they're gonna embarrass this poor woman. And she says, I want to share with you something that I have learned 
in my 40 years in, the, in show business. There's no business like show business. And she shouts it from the stage and the audience goes crazy. They get up on its chairs and clapping and applauding. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. If none of his stories were about you, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Who the fuck is Roger Smith is recorded in an undisclosed bunker somewhere on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. All opinions are Mr. Smith's own, but everything he says happened because he was there. Bill Bergoli is our producer and editor. I'm Bill McCuddy. Electric Acid.